and obviously we're looking today at Psalm 40. Uh, the text is printed in the bulletin and uh, will also be up on the screens behind me. Um, one of the things uh, that I um, heard in the children's sermon that was one of the most profound things I've heard, you might not have heard it because he said it so quietly, was uh, David Krieger said, I am David. Now, I hope when you, which is true, but when you read this psalm, a psalm of David, you'll be able to say, I am David. Right? Right? What a, what a, what a powerful, what a powerful thing and testimony for, uh, uh, for us to hear uh, today. So, man, those, those Kriegers know how to raise them up, don't they? So, um, I'm, I'm amazed. Tom, you're, you're doing a good job. You should write a book about parenting. So um, today we're going to read uh, Psalm 40. We're going to focus on the first four verses, but I want to read to you the whole uh, text so that you have a sense of, of kind of the, the, the logic and, and, and where David uh, is going with this. So uh, I'm, let me read to you Psalm 40 again. It's in the King James, and uh, um, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha! Aha! Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O my God." Uh, one of my earliest memories uh, is well before I started school. We were uh, uh, we had a problem with one of our wells, and we were working on it. And I remember that uh, there was water everywhere, and it was uh, had f- was flowing into this ditch, and it was just a big, giant, muddy mess. 
And uh, as a three or four year old, I was there because my dad was there because I wanted to be there. And as I was standing there watching what was happening, I fell into the mud. And the reason why this is so stuck in my memory is I remember what it smelled like, really stunk. And I remember the fact that it was a new experience for me to be sunk up into the mud so much that my eyes were almost eye level with the top of where the mud was. And I was sinking further and further down, and I felt this hand grab me by the collar and pull me out. And I remember the sound that my body made coming out of the mud, you know, (laughs) that kind of sucking sound, you know, that's what it that's what it sounded like. And the thing that was crazy about that was that was my mom who pulled me out. Now my mother is four feet nine and at her heaviest is hundred and five pounds. She's she was probably ninety eight pounds then. But she had incredible strength in that moment to pull me out of the mess uh, that I had gotten in and and immediately started cleaning me up. I have and really kind of rebuking my dad for allowing me to be there while, while he was doing this in the first place. So it's, it's one, of my, one of my earliest memories, right? So we read the psalm, and we, we, it's, it's, it's hard to miss those powerful images of being in a pit. It's hard to miss those powerful images of, of, of helplessness and hopelessness. It's hard, hard to miss this, this, this very profound thing that, that David says and that he experiences. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is first we're going to look at a couple of points of clarification so you understand the intensity of what's going on here. Secondly, we're going to look at like four, uh, four or five questions uh, centered around the pattern that is expressed uh, in this text. And then we'll, we'll make some points at the end to talk about why God uh, uh, allows these sorts of things in our lives uh, in the first place. So, Megan, go ahead and put my notes up there. So, first, first things first, a few clarifications. He says he waited patiently. Now, that, that sounds kind of passive to us. That sounds kind of quiet to us. Really, what the Hebrew indicates there is that he's waiting intently and that his energy, his focus... His desire is that God would get him out of the pit and that uh, his his waiting is is a, a waiting that is involved in crying and and looking and seeking and wanting God to deliver him from the mess that he's in. So don't don't read this as uh, just that he's sitting there quietly. He is crying out to God. Uh, secondly, the thing is, it says here in the, in the King James that God inclined. Again, that's not strong enough. What it means is, is that God bends down, gets very close, just like you would with a three-year-old who's crying and in trouble, looking you eye to eye, speaking, hearing, being very near and very close. And then thirdly, the horrible pit, the miry clay, is a, a picture of helplessness and, and even hopelessness. What it is, it's not just that you're in a hole and there's mud, you're in a hole that is muddy that you are sinking into, and there's also the indication in the Hebrew here that it's flooding, that you're not just stuck in the mud, but water's pouring in the hole around you, and if you don't get out of there, if God doesn't deliver you from this, you're going to die. Okay, So there's a sense here that it's not just, oh, I'm stuck in this hole, I sure hope somebody comes by and gets me out. It is, you're in the midst of this thing, and you're stuck in it, and if God doesn't intervene on your behalf, you're a dead man or a dead woman. It's, there's, there's no, there, there's, there's no uh, salvation unless God comes down, sees you, 
hears you, grabs you by the collar, and pulls you out. Right? So, so what David is expressing here in, these, in, in this is that he found himself in a horrible, horrible situation, uh, even, even a deadly situation, right? And so uh, it was absolutely necessary that the only one who could save him, the only one who could deliver him, was God. And so that's who he cries to. Next slide, please, Megan. So what you see here in this, in this description, in these first four verses, is a pattern, right? And it's a pattern, really, of life. So first of all, he, he finds himself in the pit. Life is full of pits. Life is full of difficulties. Life is full of things that that we will often find ourselves in. Now, one of the things that's true about pits is sometimes sometimes you, you don't see them and you fall into them. Sometimes there are things about the pits that seem to be attractive to you, that attract you to them, and you get to them, and the attraction uh, uh, puts you in jeopardy. And, and, and if you give yourself into that attraction, you find yourself in the pit, facing certain death, right? So, secondly, when you get yourself in that situation, what do you do? You cry to God, right? You, um, you, you can't help but cry out to him because you're, there's no one else who can help you. There's no one else uh, who can save you. Secondly, you wait. We're going to spend some more time on that. Uh, uh, and, and when you're in the pit and the water's coming up around you, God may deliver you very quickly, but any delay... And, and him coming and addressing your situation seems to be like you're waiting, 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 waiting for him to deliver. Finally, you're delivered. You're, you're pulled out of the pit and you're set on uh, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You have a, a place to stand, a place to be secure, a place to know where you can walk and where you can go. And, and uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's such a contrast to being sinking up to your eyeballs in the mud. Then you sing a new song in response to uh, the work uh, that God has done. You sing. And then lastly, you sing so that others will trust in God when they see the redemption and the deliverance of God's criers. Now, a couple of things to, 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 to take note about this is, um, uh, is that this is, this is something that will repeat itself in your life over and over again. It's certainly a descriptor of the, of the person becoming a believer, of getting converted, no doubt about that. But the fact is, we need ongoing deliverance, right? We need ongoing deliverance from temptation. We need ongoing deliverance from hard situations. We need ongoing deliverance from the difficulties in our lives, right? And so, so the, the fact is, this is something that uh, uh, this description of being in a pit, crying out, being delivered, uh, uh, having your feet firm under you again, singing a song, and having other people witness that, is, is something that goes on over and over and over again. Because the truth of the matter is, this planet is a factory for pits. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And uh, uh, sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we prefer them, sometimes we avoid them. But the fact of the matter is, while you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be faced time and time again with pits, with things that you find yourself in and that only God can deliver you. Only God can get you out of those things, right? 
And so, so this is a, this is something that you're going to see played out in your life over and over and over again. It would be great if we trusted in Christ and there were never any more difficulties. There were never any more pits. There were never any more life threatening, at least, uh, our temporary life here on this planet, uh, things that come our way. But the fact is, uh, while we are drawing breath on this planet, we are going to find ourselves occasionally more often than we'd like in pits. Next slide. So what is a pit and how did I get here? Well, a pit is anything that you find yourself in where you are helpless, desperate, where everything about you seems to point to apparent hopelessness when you're at your breaking point. Uh, sometimes uh, these pits are things that um, that we, we fall into on our own. Sometimes there are things that just happen to us. Sometimes there, there are situations that we jump into with both feet, uh, thinking that it's going to be a great thing for us, uh, but in the end, it's not. So your pit today might be infertility. Your pit today might be loneliness. Your pit today might be cancer. Your pit today might be heart disease. Your pit today might be a broken relationship. It might be an unfulfilled desire. It could be any number of things. It might be a temptation to sin that you continually give into that leads you further and further and further into the pit. They're around us. All around us. All the time. When I was a um, kid uh, on our farm, my dad made a decision one year that we were going to get out of the dairy cow business and get into the beef cow business. And so uh, he bought a beautiful Hereford calf. Beautiful. Do you know what a Hereford is? They're the beautiful red cows with white faces, pink noses. Beautiful. People in the West End like Angus beef. That's dumb. Herefords are so much better, so much prettier, so much, so much. They're just awesome cows. Well, he bought this, uh, this calf and he put my brother, four years older than me, in charge of it. Now, in charge of it, what meant, what that meant was that Brad was supposed to go every day when he got home from school and walk the farm and lay eyes on that cow just to see it because she was a nut job. She, you could not pin her up. She was wild. She would go and do whatever she wanted to do. And so all he had to do every day when he got home was just see her, make sure she was okay, and that she was in the confines of our farm and that everything was okay, right? So he did this. And he was very faithful at it and very good at it. And he did it for several weeks. And then he missed her one day. And he missed her a second day. And he missed her a third day. He didn't tell anybody until the third day. And on the third day, just like we read last week in Psalm 32, God's hand was heavy upon him, (laughs) and he couldn't stand it any longer. He fessed up to my dad, I haven't seen her in three days. So my dad drops everything because we had invested a ton of cash in this. This was the future of the farm, and we dispersed all over the place looking for her. And we looked, and we looked, and we looked. And we found her laying at the bottom of a gully, probably a 15 or 20 foot gully. Uh, She fell in, got tangled up in some vines and exhausted herself to the point of death.
trying to get out. We found her. She was still alive, and we did everything we could to get her out of there, but she was just too big, and we couldn't get her out. She died. We figured that she uh, was wanting to eat the uh, honeysuckles. Again, look it up if you don't know what that is. (laughs) Eating the honeysuckle vines on the edge of the gully, and she was eating those, and she fell in. They looked good to her. They looked to be preferred to the things that we were feeding her. She decided she liked that better, and she slipped and she fell in the pit, and her bones are still down there in that pit. We had to bury her right where she was. Well, such an apt description of our pits. These things that look to us like they're going to provide for us life, and they look to us maybe even that they're going to provide security, right? But in fact, what they do is they entangle us and they suck us in in such a way that when, once, once we're in them, the only way we can get out is if God reaches down and comes down to get us, to pull us out, to, to grab us by the collar, to do whatever work is necessary to redeem us from the pit, to pull us up from that, and to give us a new life. And so, so the fact is, that is a, that's a profound picture to us of, of what life is like. And, and, and the fact is that there's mercy in those pits if in those pits they call us, they cause us to cry out to God. You see, that's one of the things that David gets, gets at right here. He says, blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. You see, the thing that David does is he falls into the pit, he recognizes that his life is in jeopardy, and he goes and he talks to a friend. No. And there's nothing wrong with talking to friends. But the fact of the matter is, when you're in the pit and death is approaching, there's only one person who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. There isn't anyone else. And so David recognizes that and sees that he does not entrust himself to anyone else. Now, now there may be people that may help us along here, but when we are in the pit and we are facing death, the only one that can deliver is the Lord. One of the, one of the things that I think is uh, so encouraging about uh, one of our missionary families, the Irwins, they, they practice at a clinic in, um, in Kenya. And the sign on the clinic says that uh, the doctors there uh, treat but only Jesus heals. And so the fact of the matter is, that's exactly what David recognizes. He recognizes that, that there, there may be other resources, there may be other wisdom, there may be other people out there, but the fact of the matter is, in the situation that he's in, only God can save him. And so he turns to him and he cries to him. And one of the things that I think is profound about this, one of the things that you have to see is, is that David is such a crier. He's such a crier. He's crying all the time. Now you hear that and you think, oh, he was a Hebrew poet. We think of him as really good looking, walking around strumming his thing. David killed people. He was a warrior. He was a king. He walked around with a sword. He was a strong man, right? And yet, what do we see? All you can do is, if you want to look in the Psalms, what do you see him doing? He's crying all the time. All the time. I need help. I'm going to die. Come down here. Help me out. Get me out of this pit. Deliver me. They're going to kill me. 
I'm, I'm overwhelmed with temptation. I'm overwhelmed with grief. I'm overwhelmed with all of these things. God, you've got to help me. And he's crying, crying, crying. God loves this crier. He loves it. And God inclines, bends down, and calms and redeems David's life from the pit. So the, the, the next thing that we have to ask about this is, so if God is so great in redeeming and so powerful and so profound in that, why does he say he has to wait? Why does it, when it's the second I realize I'm, I'm in the pit, why don't I just say to God, God, get me out of the pit, and he just does it, you know, an express elevator right out of there, right? Why, why, doesn't, why doesn't he do that? What? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to cry out to God for, for my loneliness? Why do I have to cry out to God for my unfulfilled desire? Why do I have to cry out to God constantly and seeking and needing Him to, to deliver me? And why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait on someone to love me? Why do I have to wait on, on having a child? Why do I have to wait on this relationship that's broken being uh, reconciled? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? I'm going to tell you. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I did. There's, it's mysterious. And let me, let me say this. This is one thing I do know. Jesus is under no obligation to tell you why you got to wait. We know that he is, if he waits, it's for our good and for his glory. Uh, but, uh, you know, some, I can make a pretty good argument for the immediate response that I need being for my good and for his glory. <laughs> right? And so somehow or other, there must be something greater about that. One day Jesus was run out of the land of Judea and uh, the uh, religious authorities were plotting to kill him and he was uh, uh, away. And we read in John chapter 11, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, do you get it that he loves these people? He loves them. The one you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In case you didn't know it, he loved them. He wants us to know that he loved them. And so, because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, if Marty says to me, I need you to come here right now, and I say, I'm going to wait a couple of days, and then when I show up two days later, and she says, why did you wait two days to come here? And I said, because I love you. She's going to say, you've got some splaining to do. <laughs> Right? Right? That, that, just, that just doesn't seem, seem logical to us. So, but, but what we have here is this situation where because Jesus loves them, because he loves his disciples, this weight is something that is, is, for, is, 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 is an evidence even of his love for them. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi. 
the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? And I, I love this answer. It's so cryptic. <laughs> and you're like, he starts talking about hours in the day. And they're like, they're going to kill you. And he's like, well, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. After saying these things to them, he, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples are like, yes, we're off the hook. Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. We don't have to go. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So, and this ends on such an encouraging note. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus goes. And Mary and Martha meet him on the road and the way to Bethany. And he sees the mourners and he hears their cries and he is moved with compassion. And they both rebuke him. You can tell they've been talking to each other about it. Where is he? Why didn't he come? What's wrong with him? Doesn't he know what's going on? Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. If you'd been here. Why'd you make us wait? And now he's dead, rotting in his grave, been up there four days dead. And Jesus says he did this because he loved them. Jesus said he did this so that the glory of God would be revealed. Jesus said that he did this so that they would believe. Jesus said he waited precisely for those reasons. Now, I can't explain to you in every situation, in every case, why you have to wait. But I do know this, that just because you wait, just because you wait doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. In fact, it may mean precisely the fact that he does love you. And not only that he loves you, but he has something uh, that he needs to do that is bigger and more profound than what you ever dreamed or imagined or asked. So David ends this by, by singing. The Lord puts a new song in his heart. Um, one of the things that I think is so profound about this is, and one of the things that uh, I, uh, I think, you know, he gets redeemed, he gets pulled out of the pit, his feet are on firm ground, and what's the first thing he does? He sings. He sings. Do you sing? Do you sing? Do you? When was the last? Do you sing in the car when you're by yourself? I'll ask your kids. Maybe they'll tell me. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Do you sing in the shower? Do you sing at work? You see, that's one of the ways that we bear witness to the fact that we've been delivered from the pit. And one of the things that is so profound about this, Jesus Christ comes to us and he delivers us. And it is such a rich and full and free forgiveness. It is such a great righteousness. It is such a perfect salvation that, that he does, that he comes and he walks into that pit and the pit overwhelms him and it kills him so that we can be delivered. Jesus dies saving us from the pit. 
only to rise again three days later. But he does that to show us and to, 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 to give us a sense of how deep and how rich and how high and how strong and how mighty his love is. And what's our response? We sing. We sing. One of the things that I love about my job is sitting in my office with the door open. And we've been doing that a lot lately because we don't have air conditioning. Hottest week of the year. Hottest two weeks of the year. Hottest three weeks of the year. It's a good. I, have, I play a game every day when I come into the office. This, I set my clock to see when does the first sweat start. It's getting earlier and earlier, right? But I love to have my door open, and I love to hear the people that walk around in my office sing. Now, some of them can sing better than others. But it is rich to hear that because what it tells me is, is the, it, 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 it gives me a sense of joy and a sense of confidence and it makes me want to sing because it reminds me of, of the grace. It reminds me of the power. It reminds me of the cross. It reminds me of the goodness of my God. And so I want to ask you, do you sing? Do you? Because if you don't, you're, you're, you're disobeying if you never sing. Really. John Piper says, people who never sing, at least in their heart, are people who do not cherish anything very deeply or feel intense gratitude for anything. They are the sort of people who take all life for granted. They never soar with a sense of joy in their heart. Now, I know that we find ourselves often in situations and times where it is difficult for us to do that. But the fact is, whatever pit you may be in, whatever temporary pit you may be in today, does not cancel out the fact that Jesus has pulled you from the pit of sin and death and removed that from you forever. Because that pit, that pit will undo you eternally. And so when we come to grips with that and we see the magnitude of the cross, we see the magnitude of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, what does it do? It makes us sing. Next slide, please, Megan. And so when we see that and we sing, we have to ask the question then, well, who benefits from my salvation? Well, I certainly do. But what David says here is that other people will see and hear and trust. So when we sing of the salvation of our God, when we sing of the deliverance from the pit, when we sing and we that is overflowing out of our hearts, what does it cause other people to do? It causes other people to see and to take seriously the very nature of the fact that we have a God who loves us, that we have a God who redeems, that we have someone who, who loves us, who has pulled us out of the pit and set us on solid ground where we can walk and we can follow and we can hear and we can sing and bear witness Bear witness uh, to the truth of the gospel, right? Now, this is a consistent pattern of any believer's life. You're going to find yourself temporarily in pits. But those temporary pits, and when I say temporary, I don't mean insignificant. They're very significant. They matter. They matter. If they didn't matter, God, God wouldn't pay attention. But God pays attention. He sees. He hears. He inclines. And he comes near. But they are only temporary. They are only temporary. And the fact is that those temporary pits do not cancel out the work that Jesus has done to deliver you eternally. 
But there's also within this uh, uh, kind of not just a, a repeated pattern, but the description of where our life is headed, that we are delivered, that we walk, that we sing, that others trust. Because one of the things that you have to see about the end of life and one of the things that you have to see about the end of history indeed in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 15, the saints are singing. And they're singing to the Lamb. They're singing to the Lamb that was slain for them. They're singing to the one who loved them, the one who died for them, the very center of the universe. They're singing to Him. And as they join their voices together, it bears witness to the very glory of God. And it reminds us and challenges us and confirms for us and for the whole universe that our God is a Redeemer, that He pulls His people from the pit of sin and He delivers them. And that that is our destiny, to sing forever the new song of the Lamb uh, in praise and in recognition of the joyful work that Jesus did in dropping into our pit and delivering us. Now, I know this morning that some of you feel the ground solid under your feet today, and it feels good and secure, and singing comes easy. Some of you today are nibbling around the edges of a pit that could lead to your death. Some of you today are in the pit and the water's rising. The one thing that stands true in all of this is the cry of the believer to his Redeemer. And the good news that we have today is is that our God is a Redeemer that he entered into the very mire of our lives and of this planet and redeemed us. And so whatever else may be happening to me, that thing that he did, that grace that he showed, that blood that he shed, that life that he gave up for me, uh, reminds me in in, in my temporary pit that he loves me, that he's for me, and that he will see me through. Um, and so I want to I take a, a, a moment here for us to be quiet, wherever you may be, whatever pit you may be nibbling around or you may be in or wherever you may be walking steadily, uh, to just take a moment and think uh, and pray uh, and cry to God, your Redeemer, uh, to um, put a song in your heart for the salvation that Jesus Christ died to give you. And if you can't, if you can't, I want to ask you why not. There is a Redeemer. There is one who pulls us out of the pit, who's done all the work for us. Trust Him. So let's take a moment. Lord, I pray today, uh, wherever we may be in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves, whether it be with physical illness or 
sadness or grief, difficulty, loneliness, uh, that um, you would enable us to sing the new song of your grace and your mercy. I pray today that uh, you would make us glad as we see and remember the fact that you pulled us from the miry pit. Give us grace today uh, to sing. Give us grace today to trust you. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today as a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.